This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's special episode of Analyzing Anfield. I'm Josh Williams, and I'm joined by David Hughes. How are you feeling, Dave? <laughs> Not as good as you, mate. <laughs> So I might as well say it immediately. Liverpool are officially Premier League champions now. Um, after 31 matches played, has officially been confirmed. I think we might have called it in maybe December. I think was the first time I kind of said this is done. Um, nice to have it officially confirmed. But again, you know, how, how are you feeling, David? How does it feel from the perspective of? Uh, not great to be honest, mate. All I am. Um... You know, I, I I remain fairly impartial with this stuff. I enjoy, you know, doing the show, and we um, I think we have some good chats on it. But it's it's never seen seen rivals kind of succeed in such a manner that the Liverpool have when when your side's fairly, you know, mid table, not really doing much at the moment. But um, you know, I I, I don't come on the show to be from a perspective. It's it's all trying to be objective and from an objective point of view. Um, I mean, it's it's what they deserved. They probably would have, if it wasn't for the pandemic, they would have had this done in in early March. So a um, little bit of a long wait than what Liverpool fans would have liked. I think it still felt pretty sweet, even under the circumstances, for most that I spoke to last night and, and this morning. Yeah, I mean, it has been a long time coming. Um, months now that Liverpool have been topped by a fair amount of points. Um, and it, from my perspective, even though I knew we were going to win it, uh, it, it was still quite a weird feeling when it happened. It was, you know, couldn't wipe a smile off your face. And I ended up going down to Anfield myself. Um, and it was crazy. Uh, it, but it was, it, I thought it would be a, bit, a little bit damp because it was, it was just, it was coming for so long. But it wasn't really it was a new feel, let's say. Yeah. Um, it, um, I must say, from the outside looking in, it looked, uh, it still looked as you'd expect it to be. Um, it, it almost felt, it was, it's, I suppose, a little bit different in, for fans as well, in the sense that um, the way it happened, as opposed to all being in one place, i.e., the stadium, it was kind of just little pockets of people, you know, gathering everywhere. That you know, at Anfield, some city centre, and then. Wherever people are watching or listening now, I'm sure they've probably got a few Liverpool fans around them where they did their own thing. So, I guess in that sense, it was quite unique, really. Yeah. Uh, one thing I was happy about, I was happy the players could spend it together. I think it yeah. would have been absolutely grim if, if the, the, the league title was won and every player was separated and his own home and he went allowed to leave, you know, lockdown style. So, I'm happy about that. Um, was he through the season of analysed? as much as we possibly can about what Liverpool are doing, why they're so good, why they're streets ahead of every other team, um, opponents that we fancy Liverpool to do well against, strong against, all that sort of stuff. And it's led to this. So, obviously, we would usually look back at the past two games, analyse Palace and, and the Everton match, and then look ahead to, funnily enough, just the City. But with this being, you know, we, we can't overlook the fact that Liverpool have just officially won the title. So, this episode is going to be dedicated to just um, basically summarising how we did it, why Liverpool are so much at the Manchester City at the moment, um, and all the contributing factors really to, to Liverpool becoming 
Champions of England this season. And then next week, maybe we will look at a preview of the City game, possibly on a Wednesday, but we'll see. Uh, so I think the first thing we should cover is the, is the stuff that we probably can't offer much insight into. And that is the intangible aspects that you can't really quantify, but that I think comes in that most of. And that would be, you know, like the dressing room, leadership, squad harmony, training behind the scenes, um, mentality, all that sort of stuff. You know, we obviously can't put a number on it and stuff like that, and we can't really talk about the details of it. But it's it's quite clear to see that Liverpool's version of all that sort of stuff is absolute elite level, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah I think um, just no um, player did any sort of psychology degree or anything to that effect because I think he's a he's a master of of the mind. Really. Yeah, he just you know he, he's a master of the details. He he, he makes. So many people around him, you know, certainly from a player point of view, makes makes them feel ten feet tall, and just the way he carries himself and the behaviours he has um, in his role just give you kind of sense that he, he understands maybe the psyche of people a lot better than many others do. Um, you know, if you even think of the small details, think of how he um, he watches the opposition warm up. Um, pre-game every single game he sits there staring at them now you're telling me that he's just doing that to try and see who's uh you know who's up for there may be an element of that but my belief is it's just to give a little bit of a, a fear factor to the opposition you know let them know that the manager's watching what they're doing and you know I, I, as a player how would it make you feel if an opposition coach a very successful one is staring at you getting ready or you know doing your warm-up it's I think you'd find it quite intimidating. Um, I think it, it, he just has so many of these little facets in his in his behaviours as a manager that make him um, that make him just so unique. Even his his kind of relationship with media, you know, he, he, the Liverpool get a lot of stick for it, and, and so does Klopp. Sometimes getting accused of play acting, but I think your you, your your career as a manager is so much easier when you've got the media on your side. Uh, you know, with your yeah. times when things aren't going well and, and that sort of thing. And he uh, he's got he's definitely got them on the side. Yeah, I think that's that that's something that they certainly looked at over the years. I think Liverpool have become sort of the media darlings, I think. Um and I think we've been very good at sort of like romanticizing the unique aspects of the club, you know, the cop, uh, you'll never walk alone, all that sort of stuff. The romantic stuff that not every club has got, um, and virtually everything about Liverpool in the media is positive, and I think that contributes to the overall mood at the club. Even big things like when when Klopp fell out with Sacho, when Buvac left the club, the bill for care, the deal fell through, whatever it was, we've never really heard anything about it. Not at all. It's just kind of been brushed under the under the mat. And I never. I was going to say, it's never any criticism of Klopp either. It's never like, you know, what's Klopp done to make Saka want to leave? It, it, it's always it's always the other person who's responsible, which again, and it ties in with having that, uh, that pre-existing relationship where you're thought of quite highly. Yeah, but I think, you know, we, we, we cover a lot about, like, you know, data and tactics and all that sort of stuff, and all that obviously matters, but I think if, if it's, as yet in, in, in Klopp's use, I think a lot of it just comes down to how you how you see people, how you are with people, 
whether people are willing to follow you, um, whether you can lead, whether you can be authentic and genuine and stuff like that. And I think he's just a complete one-off, to be honest. The way he speaks, you, you just you want to follow the guy. You want to believe in everything he says. Um, he's charismatic. He lights up the room. Um, big, big personality. And I think even the biggest people in football feel small around him. Um, in in a positive way. That is, you know, not 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 as in he makes them feel belittled or whatever. But I think Pep Guardiola is obviously very confident in his own skin. I think around someone like Jan Klopp will be, especially after reading a few of Pep's books. I'm inclined to think Pep will look at a clock and just think to himself, like, you know, is this man better than me, basically? And I don't think Pep will think that about many people. Um, but I'm just, just one little thing I want to say about, you know, the whole concept of getting people to work for you. I remember I listened to a podcast during the season, and there was a fella called Max Ringelman. Um, he's a philosopher or something like that. But a long time ago, he found in a little study that when he asked a group of men to pull on the rope, you know, tug of war sort of thing, they didn't pull as hard collectively as they did when pulled on. Um, as individuals joined the team activity, the total effort was less than when they were capable individually. So peers contributed about 90, 93% of their individual efforts. Then three people pulled about 85% of their individual efforts. And when it got down to eight people, it was about 49% of each individual person's effort. And I think one thing Klopp's done, he's kind of got every player to be absolutely committed, contributing 100% of what he's capable of at the same time. And it just, it just results in basically an absolute machine and a team that is almost more than 11 players, if you want to overcome it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think you you even think of the plays on the um you can't really picture any any baffle characters really in the dressing room, can you? Even players who aren't playing, you can't really imagine them having a negative effect or creating a little bit of a um a counterproductive um kind of I don't know, plan within within the squad. You know, you hear that so much where players are on the outskirts and the um talking to other players and it creates this little bit of an enemy from within and i'm trying to think some players who who aren't playing regularly maybe more like shakiri or or i don't know like a lovering like and lalana always come in you know whenever they come in they, they play like they're playing every week they play like they really yeah. matter even though in the grand scheme of things they don't really matter as much as the, the people who stand every week yeah and uh, i think that's uh, that's huge you know lalana you've named them there now, he scored a vital goal, didn't he? That really stopped Liverpool having uh, losing the famous season at Trafford. And he's come in and kind of popped up with that goal. And, um, you know, if, he, if it was someone who was potentially going through the motions, he, he may have not been inclined to put as much effort into his run to get on the end of the... I think it was a cross, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's it, it's all... About, it, just the way he manages the whole squad is a, is a skill in itself. Yeah, as I said, he's a, he's a complete one-off the way he's been able to do it. Um, and you, you mentioned there about the, the personality of the players. I think recruitment obviously comes into that. We can't really overlook Liverpool's recruitment. Um, over the years, I think not only have they invested in the right type of players, players who are suited to club style and players who, players who are unique in, in themselves, with, you know, skills that are useful, stuff like that, but they're also clearly good apples and, you know, people who are... 
coach, coachable, people who are willing to learn, people who want to make the step up and that sort of thing. And despite even that, Liverpool, I think we showed a few weeks ago, net spend since 2015, which, you know, considers income and outcome. Um, Liverpool plays 14th in the current Premier League table for net spend. Um, Man City, for example, spends about 500 million more than Liverpool over a five-year period. Yeah, at the end of that five-year period, City is somehow, I think it's 23 points behind. It's, it's absolutely crazy how efficient Liverpool have been. And although I absolutely think Klopp is the heart of it, I think it's 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 an operation thing. I think every single department is, is absolutely, you know, well-drilled, if you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I, um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think City... And we'll probably delve into a little bit more. I think on the whole, they've they bought fairly well. I think they've also not only bought well, but turned good players into really good players. I think Mares is an example where, you know, Mares looked a good player for me, but admittedly, I think this year he's found another level. Um, but I thought it was interesting that you touched on the personality of players there. Um, and I think it's a really good point. And I think when you're when you're super rich like City are, I know Liverpool have got money, but I'm, you know City are a level above in terms of the finances for me. I think you can be, I wouldn't say more lazy with your recruitment, but I think talent can sometimes take precedence over everything else. And um, one of those things it, it takes over is characteristic or you know play persona. And I think a really good example this year of of where that's been the case is Cancelo going to City. Um, undoubtedly, yeah. you know, a, a really good player, great player, even potentially, although we're seeing much of it yet. But he has he struggled to really get in the city side, and and the rumours are that he doesn't react well to not being in the side, which has got Guardiola's back up because obviously he doesn't want to see that from his players, um, which in turn has kind of created this a half in, half out, not able to settle into the squad. Um, but that's a complete contrast, isn't it, to what we've just been saying Klopp does. Um, I think maybe, they, as I said, City just aren't the best at potentially picking the players who have the the good character to go with the skill set. And I think that's a really good good example of one player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you're saying there. It's a good point, that. Um, but, what, you know, when we look at the way Liverpool have recruited over the years under Klopp, it is kind of... For me, very clear steps that Liverpool have taken. I think initially it was quite clear that he he wanted to improve the attack first and foremost. He wanted to make Liverpool an attacking side. Considering he's an attacking coach, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and what, obviously once Liverpool reached a point whereby the attack was amongst the best in the division, he then started to plug the holes of, you know, where else do we need to improve? Which I think if you look at the actual league over the years, very few teams actually do that. Very few teams actually look at what, what they need and just go and buy it. I remember a few years ago, Mourinho did exactly that. He came to Chelsea for the second spell, I think, and he bought Fabregas, Diego Costa, and Matic maybe, or someone like that. It was just exactly what he needed, and Chelsea just won the league like that, simple as. Mm-hmm. And I think Liverpool, it was clear that we needed a bit more control, a bit more composure. Um and fewer mistakes in defensive areas, and we just we just went out and bought it as simple as that, and and it's it's resulted in 
a 97-point season last year. And this year, we won the Premier League and, and, you know, God knows how many points we're going to actually get. Yeah. Yeah, and it's something, obviously, uh, maybe we'll cover a little bit more shortly, but it's something City didn't do in the summer. summer. And it's it's proven to be, I think, crucial in them not being able to maintain pace with Liverpool. You know, they, they lost company. Um, and they were really unlucky with Laporte's injury don't get me wrong but I think when company left you needed to find a replacement and um, and he just didn't do it didn't seem to prioritise it or didn't get the deals they wanted but they definitely needed reinforcements there and you know disaster struck very early on in the season and they, for a team like City to have to be turning central midfielders into makeshift centre-backs across the year you know that's that's really poor Um and as I said, it's, I think it's been detrimental this season in them trying to compete with Liverpool. Yeah, well, another thing that, that, that ties in with, I suppose, is availability um, and avoiding injuries and things like that. Obviously, City picked up an injury to Laporte early in the season and it's it's impacted them quite drastically. But Liverpool, on the other hand, um, you know, I think offhand, I think Alisson's been the only one to have, the only first team that is to have fairly persistent problem but he, he, even that still he's he still played the majority of matches still going to pick up the golden glove and stuff like that I'm not sure exactly how many he missed maybe 8 to 11 or something like that maybe possibly even more but yeah Liverpool have just seemed to have mastered another area in in just keeping the players in, in shape and keeping Liverpool as the, the fittest team in the league the fastest most physical um, most intense really yeah, I think the um, I think the Laporte one was a little bit uh, a little bit unlucky, uh, but you know you look at players like Stones for example, he's just seems to be recurring injuries constantly, and I think Otamendi was the same as well. It's uh, do you know as well every season, every single year Aguero misses a few months, you know, every mm. year. Yeah, that's true. I, yeah, I don't think he's had a consistent season where he's been injury free because if he did, he'd probably hit the thirty goal mark. But there's yeah, a reason yeah. I think he's only... I'm not sure how many Golden Boots he's won. He, I don't think it's many. But he should have. He's been here for a decade. Yeah, but it's because yeah. he ends up missing about two to three months every season. Just through little little niggly injuries. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. But then maybe the trade-off in Guardiola's eyes is... Well, I'll, I'll take you know what he can do in the, the other two thirds. He is fit. But he, uh, he does seem to... Pick, well, he's picked up another one, hasn't he? He's out for the season now. He's not going to finish. Exactly, yeah. That's it, yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's a good point, actually. Yeah, so in terms of the the, the the system that has delivered Liverpool's Premier League title, um, it's quite unique, I think is is fair to say, um, in comparison to most other Premier League winners and most other European sides. Hopefully, those that are watching on YouTube can see that. Um, that is Liverpool's most used four three three this season in the Premier League, um, including the, the the most selected eleven. Um and that that's basically that basically captures how it works really. Um you've got Van Dyke and usually Gomez who were that complete that they're able to manage, you know, excess base in behind. As a result of that, the two fullbacks bomb on and basically play like wingers, um contributing a, wide variety of assists throughout the, I think it's I think since the beginning of last season in all competitions I think they're into the 50s now 
combined assists. Um, obviously, you've got the midfield three there who, over the years, they've just gradually, in terms of goal scoring chances, they've just created less and less. But that's coincided with Robertson and Alexander Arnold going the opposite way. And then the front three there, obviously, it's it's supposed to be Firmino as the number nine. And then you've got two wide players. But for me, it's always kind of worked as a diamond. Firmino's always been okay as a number nine, but he's, he's always played as a number 10, as far as I'm concerned. He drifts into, into midfield. And then you've got the two wide men, obviously very fast, very penetrating with the runs uh, running in behind. And it's I think Mourinho best captured it earlier in the season. He described it on Sky Sports as um, the perfect puzzle. Mm. It, the complete puzzle, sorry, is what he said. And I think he's spot on because there's, there's very few other clubs in the world who've who've constructed a squad with the personnel capable of, of executing as a startup like that. Yeah, I um, I was writing about it earlier this week and I basically said, you know, Liverpool's such a multifaceted side that pretty much like a Swiss army knife, aren't they? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, the balance in that 4 3 is insane. I had a look and I think there was more of a threat level down the right, but in terms of attacks, I think it's a, a, a split of around 37% going down the left and 36% going down the right. So it's, you know, if you try and accommodate for the right side, the full hair on the left and vice versa. Um, and that's not to mention they've got the place to go through the middle as well. So it's just such so hard for an opposition um, of, of defence to try and defend. It's uh, sad you can attack it in so many different ways. Um, I think that that formation is so good as well. It doesn't really possess a weakness when you're facing any sort of philosophy either. You know, you can play, you play teams who like to play in different ways, and that that's always set up so that you'll find an answer to to the questions that they ask. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned there that Liverpool attack uh, in so many different ways and things like that. So before we tackle the defence and things like that, we will talk about Liverpool's attack this season. Um, how they do it, goals that they've scored and things like that. Uh, first, I just want to plug this. This is Liverpool's shot map for the current season in the Premier League. Hopefully you can see that. But as you can see, yeah. a wide, you know, you've got plenty, plenty of shots there inside the penalty box, very few coming outside the box. And, you know, some of them from outside the box have actually found the net. So that's not too bad. I remember back earlier in the season that, each year, Liverpool have, you know, they've decreased their percentage of shots from outside the box each year, year on year. I'm not sure whether that's still the case now, but it certainly was around January, I think it was, or, or December when I wrote the piece. Um, obviously, those that follow expected goals and things like that will be aware that the closer you get to goal, the more likely you are to find net. And considering Liverpool are so data-focused behind the scenes, it's likely that clock's fully aware of that. And Liverpool are trying to work towards that. Um, you mentioned about Liverpool attacking with a balance down either side. I think if you're looking at that shot map there, there's, a, there's no like, you know, area of the box that's that's weighted more than any other area. I think it's it's quite a balanced shot map either side and through the middle. Mm, yeah, yeah, it is. It's um, as I said, they, they they basically come at you either side and um. It's it's just so so hard to defend against, you know. It's, um, 
like if we think about Palace as a, although Palace aren't nowhere near Liverpool's level, so obviously it's they're going to be a little bit more one-dimensional. But if we think about that game on Wednesday, I don't know about you, but the min Zaha picked up an injury, I knew that was their offensive threat over with because because yeah. they're so reliant on you know building down one flank and it's it that's a complete contrast to to what Liverpool are and you know we've got the the visualization there to prove it that the threat comes from everywhere around the air, around the box. Yeah, I mean, in, in comparison to Manchester City, um, who have obviously been our rivals throughout the season, and, you know, I suppose other teams have challenged us at, at various points as well. This is how Liverpool compare to the rest of the league, strictly in attack. Hopefully this will do that. Keep on, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, this happened. Why? That's okay. Um, I mean, just on City, what I will say is, I'll 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 it in now. But it seems the the problem for City for me is, and it's uh, it's backed up by a pretty poor head-to-head record against the top seven. You know, the 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 tend to struggle against sides. Who possess certain characteristics, or they have done at least this season, and it's normally teams who have an ability to press in an organised manner can hit you fast on a counter attack, and also show ambition to win the game. Um, I, sh- I put Twitter earlier. I-, I won't share it because you know people can have a look on Twitter or just take a look themselves. It's quite easy to find. But City have played eleven games against the top seven sides this season. They've only won three. Which is which is remarkable, really, for Sadu, who, who you know pushing yeah, for the titles. Um, yeah, it was a it's a shock, and I think it does come down to, as I said, you know they've got a fantastic re- record against everyone below who potentially don't really have this ambition to win games or that they're happy to let them play their own game. And City will let it turn it on there with the combination plays they can they can. Implement, but I think once um, the face sides who have a little more ambition to win, um, have to have a little bit more quality as well. They've been getting punished. Yeah. Okay, so hopefully this works. <laughs> yeah, it's working. Um, right, so that's absolutely basic chart. Uh, plus, which Premier League team has the best attack according to goals scored on the bottom axis and expected goals. So you can see, by the way, this is probably a good time to point out that those that doubt the accuracy of expected goals should probably look at that because that's, you know, that captures that. It's it's fairly um, accurate. Um, as you can see anyway, City have the best attack in the league. Um, that's according to actual numbers and underlying numbers, followed by Liverpool. Then it's, I suppose, a toss-up between them and Chelsea. Then you've got Man United, then Spurs, then Arsenal. So no real surprises there. Um, and I think, I think although City are considerably higher than Liverpool on that, on that plot, I think it's worth knowing how far away Liverpool are compared to all the other teams as well. So although that looks like, OK, City are the best team, Liverpool are also considerably better in attack than most other, most other teams in the Premier League, which means that Liverpool are also highly likely to win matches um, as opposed to just City, whereas I think you'd be inclined to look at that and think City will finish first, Liverpool will finish second. But what I suppose what I'm getting at is 
Liverpool are equipped to win the large majority of matches when they talk like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, that's still a, a basically that's pretty much still a winning formula every week, isn't it? To to be putting that kind of output in terms of XG and goal scores. Um, just what are your general thoughts, by the way, on on City's kind of return this year in comparison with the with their XG? Because it's quite. Well, when I looked, I haven't got. I assume you're on um, stats bomb data there. Yeah, yeah. I had a quick look at White Scouts, and I think they're a few goals out. Um, you seems, are they? No, so they've overperformed, but but only by two goals, um, which for me is quite a surprise for the, a team who's an elite side. Um, if we think that using the stat same data, White Scouts, um, Liverpool overperformed by ten goals. Which is what you'd, I'd probably expect over, you know, thirty-one odd games or whatever we're looking at. Um, and I'm just wondering what, if you have any immediate thoughts on that. I know they've missed a few penalties, which I, I think actually something that hasn't really been accounted for as being quite an issue. If you've missed that many penalties in such a low-scoring game, it can, you know, it can be quite decisive. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. I think another thing probably worth noting as well is generally headers are perceived as, um, you know, they're not usually very valuable in terms of expected goals. Usually an XG model will look at a header and think that's not going to be scored. But if that header is coming as a result of a clever little set Liverpool have arranged, which Manchester City don't seem that inclined to do, that's going to result in Liverpool again overperforming a little bit more because it's going to look like they're taking headers. Um, whereas they're in fact coming up with very subtle little set piece routines. Yeah, yeah, I've seen Van Dijk and we profit from one or two of them this season. Um, yeah, but I, I just think it's another thing in the favour of Liverpool. Maybe something City would be a little bit dis- disappointed with because, um, if Liverpool overperform by ten goals, City only two. It's it's not it's not great really. It's probably just one of those things that only accounts for five percent of one of the reason why there's been such a difference this year. But you know, if you have several of those five percent, it builds up, doesn't it, to, to what we're seeing now in terms of the points difference. Yeah. Um. If we if we move away from the the attack, in fact, one one thing one more thing I'd like to say on the attack, I, I think Klopp's been an absolute master of looking at what players he's got and looking at each individual player's attacking qualities whether he's a centre-back or even a goalkeeper Klopp's just been a master of finding a way for every player in the system to be, to be attacking in, in some way I'm thinking of the the balls over the top that Van Dijk plays I'm thinking of the counter-attacks that Alisson starts Obviously, Trent, whatever Everton that Trent does, the switches of play and all that sort of stuff. Robertson's runs in behind. Um, Henderson's balls over the top as well. Wijnaldum's late late runs into the box. Fabinho's little little chips that we saw against Palace and obviously the occasional 30-yard shot. I think the only player really who's not really got anything like that is Joe Gomez, but he was there before Klopp arrived and... But other than that, I think, you know, on, on the attacking side of the game, I think Liverpool are just, um, I think I've said before that, you know, if you're a, if you're an opposing team, which which player do you allow to have the ball and and you feel safe? Because just, for me, there's, there's, there's one probably, and that's, that's Joe Gomez, but 
that's nothing that's not that's not a knock on his game. That's just I suppose he's he's less inclined to hate you when he's in possession than, than any other Liverpool player. It's just his it's job's for a dominant defender, isn't it? Um, and that's what he does best. And you can't always be great at everything, but he's a, he's a fairly solid defender. So, uh, yeah, there's not that relaxed, I suppose, when you've got nine other players outfield who will contribute in the attack. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know about you, Dave, but for me, I think the thing that has won Liverpool the league is the defence. I don't know about you. Yeah. Um, little bit of proof of how Liverpool's defence compares. Um, hopefully you can see that. That is the same viz that I showed before, but that is defending. So, goals against. Compared it hasn't come to, up yet, by the way, mate. It hasn't? No, not yet. Okay, that's weird. It says it, it, says it has on mine. Um, um, anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll retry it now. But Liverpool's defence is, is essentially on a different level to everyone else's. In terms of goals against, that is. But hopefully, when I get this up properly... Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I was going to say, probably still talk, talk us through it either way. Um, but I just, yeah, I agree. I actually wrote a kind of reaction piece for uh, from a City point of view um, earlier today. And... You know, there was other things I flagged in the difference between the two sides this year, but the defence was a huge one. Um, because, you know, it, it might it may surprise people to know that based on expected points, which is obviously in relation to expected goals and against, most models still have City as, as the best side. But I think you, you're inclined to forget. That's working now, by the way, mate. You're inclined okay. to forget that um, obviously expected goals largely relies on... Um, on locations and you know assist type body parts and doesn't always consider defensive pressure which I think Liverpool are, are so much better than City at um, and doesn't always get picked up as I said in terms of XG yeah yeah spot on there that's what I'm going to mention really um, if you look at that phase obviously Aston Villa technically have the worst defence in the league um, expected to concede about 60 and have conceded about 60 um, followed by West Ham Norwich, Southampton, surprisingly. Mm. Um, although Southampton's expected numbers aren't as bad. Southampton's expected numbers are actually, I think, slightly better than Tottenham's and Arsenal's. On the when, side. when you can see nine goals in one game as well, that's always going to boost that's it a good up, point. Yeah, it? that's a good yeah. point. Um, but Liverpool down here, anyway, um, I think we've conceded, I think, 21. Um but we've been yeah. expected, interestingly, to concede just over 30. So if you look at the expected numbers, we're about on line with the defence of United, City, Wolves and Chelsea. Now, a lot of people would look at that and think that Liverpool have been lucky or, you know, that, that that's going to catch up with us or whatever. But that is, that is as you've said, because general expected goals is based on shot locations. So they're not considering where... Liverpool's defenders are, how pressurised the player on the ball is, um, Alisson's position, the trajectory of the shot, the power of the shot. And once you start considering those aspects, you can see then where Liverpool's, how much better Liverpool's defence is. Um, and I'll I'll get that up if you just want to fill the space, Dave. Yeah, that's going good, that, mate. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh... <laughs> 
that, that that's it. You know, if you if you try and think of of, of if people now the listen try and think of you know City's defence and often they'll, they'll be getting, they seem to how they get hit the most is they get hit on the um, on the counter quite often because they lose possession and when sides lose possession and get attacked in the transition that's normally when they're at the most vulnerable and then if you're thrown to the mix that City have been largely without any real solid central defenders then. You know, a lot of these uh, opposition attackers have basically been given a, a free reign to, you know, time and space to get the shot off on goal. And ultimately, they'll lead to, when you're not getting pressured, they'll lead to, to better chances and better efforts uh, on the City goal compared to Liverpool, who normally, have, I've said to Josh a million times, I think if City wanted to be, I mean, if Liverpool wants to be a side who sit in a low block, you know, they'd be the best in the in Europe at it. But they've just got so much more. But it, that's completely different to, to City, unfortunately, for them. Yeah, I mean, can, can you see that viz there? Yeah, it's up now. So that one is exactly the same viz. Goals against, both rather than being expected, goals against is post-shot goals against. So it considers where Alisson is, um, the trajectory of the shot, the power of the shot, and all, all that sort of stuff. All the sort of stuff that comes after the shot is actually taken, hence post-shot. Um, and as you can see, Liverpool, rather than being up here, level with the defence of United, City, Wolves and Chelsea. Liverpool have now dropped considerably to being expected to concede probably around 25, I'd assume that is. And that, that, what that suggests is when Liverpool face shots, they're from the same locations as United, City, Wolves, whatever. But the difficulty of those shots you know, for whatever reason, is considerably harder. It's, it's a lot harder to put the ball in the net, even though opponents are taking the shots from the same locations, roughly. Um, whether that's due to Allison being ridiculous with his positioning, whether that's due to Liverpool constantly crowding the shooter, um, remains to be seen, really. And it's probably a mix of both. I'm not sure if you've got any thoughts on that, Dave. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's exactly that's what I think. I uh, think it is a mix of both. I think, um, you know, Liverpool tend to pressure really well in the box. They get a lot of bodies in there uh, around attackers quickly. Uh, I think that then forces um, snapshots. You know, uh, what really got this thought process going for me was earlier in this season, um, teams were missing a ton of consecutive big chances against Liverpool. And I was like, at, at first I thought they're on a really fortunate run. And I, I can fact that we probably spoke about it at the time, didn't we? I think I remember having yeah. a conversation with Dan Kennett as well, who obviously is quite prominent on the Liverpool Twitter scene. Um, and I was like, it, it, you know, it, it, it can't just be luck. You know, and I was thinking it must be the psyche of coming up against Liverpool. But even then, I was like, that just doesn't seem right that these players, because it all happens in seconds. I can't imagine that these players would always be thinking as they're about to get a shot. Oh, this is against Liverpool. I hope it goes in. And it was only a little bit more research then that I basically come to the conclusion that you just summarised there that the evidence shows, and we had the post shot expected goal data to prove it, that you know Liverpool was so much better pressuring in the uh, in, in in their own box and you know just um, forcing players to take these shots a lot quicker, uh, which normally results in less accurate shots. Whereas if you think of some of the goals City conceded this season. So many examples of the attackers having so much time to just, you know, pick a spot and, um, you know, yeah. kind of compose themselves. And 
And I think that's, as I said, that's a huge difference. Yeah, well, it's interesting that you say that because uh, I've got up Liverpool's shots faced here. Hopefully you can see that. Yeah, got uh, it, yeah. Again, apologies to our listeners. This, um, this is just, I suppose, a trial period that we're testing. We were trying to make the show a bit more interactive where you can see the kind of things we're looking at, I suppose. But that is the, the shots on target. Uh, sorry, that's the shots Liverpool have faced in the Premier League this season. All the ones that are grey are off target. Um, and I think I think what, one thing worth noting here is that I, I, I'll get up Manchester City's next. Liverpool generally face more shots than Manchester City. Um, if, if, you're, if you're in a team, you're going to shoot more times against Liverpool than you are against City. And that's because of the different styles of play. Um, but the, the, the thing is with that, you would expect it to be to be beneficial. You'd expect that to, to mean, OK, City's defence is better. But as you said, the difference is when you get through against City, your chances are usually a bit more clear less players around you and you're usually a bit closer to goal as you said Dave yeah um, yeah I'm trying I'm just you've just sparked me um, memory there to check out yeah I'm, so uh, obviously this is slightly different data provider but we've still got City as the um, well they've they, they got the second highest um, per shot against which basically coincides with what you're saying there Josh is that uh, in terms of XG per shot value, there's on average tends to be well the second highest behind only West Ham, which reiterates that point again that often the the chances they face are, are quite clear cut. Yeah, that there right now that you look at is the sh- the shot City face this season. Obviously, there's fewer, but I think you'll notice that those that are in colour, which means hit the target. The vast majority of those that are in colour are actually stars, which means the, the, the stars for those that aren't aware are goals rather than shots. Um, so I, I just think it's interesting that, you know, whenever you do face a shot on target, it does seem to find a net and you, you'll, you'll see plenty of the stars there really close to goal, um, slightly to the right of goal, slightly to the left of goal, which, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're the finishing player, they're decent little angles, I suppose, in terms of getting your body around the ball. And being able to find the corner of the net as opposed to being faced with you know a central central one-on-one with Edison. Um, so yeah, I think it's I think it's stylistic interestingly because I think I think Pep Guardiola has always had the, the perception of you know we dominate the ball um and it's quite idealistic in terms of whenever whenever we lose it we get it back immediately. Whenever we have it we attack and it's it's all perfect and it's all wonderful and all stuff like that. But if you haven't got the defenders to cope, well, I suppose he has got the defenders to cope. But when you do concede, when you do face shots playing that game, they're going to be quite clear cut. We have to pull up in a bit more, you know, we, we, you can take shots against us, but you're not going to score from them because Allison's going to be able to save it firstly. Mm. And second, yeah. Yeah, that, well, that's exactly it. Um, I mean, one thing I do want to. A touch on, and uh, I, I want to get your opinion here because I don't know, you, you might see it a little bit different. Is do you still think that despite everything that we're saying, um, which is all true in, in my opinion, do you still think the gap 
that we see our 23 points is is a little bit false in terms of how big the, the difference is between the two. But basically, I don't think Liverpool will be thinking this, in, like the clock and stuff, but just in terms of explaining to people who are listening and watching. I'll, I'll start then, because I'll, <laughs> I'll open the floor to you. I do think everything we've we've said there is right, and I think there's crucial differences between the sides, which is why it's it's been so much easier for Liverpool this year. But I do also think um, City have had some pretty bad luck um, with with some injuries and um, some games as well. I know it it goes against a lot of people, and Liverpool could probably find examples of this. But I think of you know against Tottenham, they had a couple of bad ones where they should have really won those games and it didn't go the way. And I think they've had a couple of them this year. And I just don't think we're looking at a gap of 23 points in terms of levels between these sides. I still think Liverpool are the better side, no doubt. But I think it's a little bit closer than maybe the table's going to say this season. Yeah, in, in terms of that, I, th- I think looking at this season's table, um, I, d- I don't necessarily think it's false. Um because I do think that Liverpool this season have been far and away the better side. Um, I think we've got fewer weaknesses. Um, and I think we're at a point of maturity, especially the first 11, where they're just completely ready to just deliver, basically. But having said that, I'd expect next season, I'd be really surprised if anything like this happens again next year. I'd expect it to be a lot closer. Um, I'd expect City to... I don't know. I think this year, as I said, they've really suffered defensively. They they haven't had Laporte for for a long period. And I think another massive thing that we haven't even mentioned is Fernandinho would come away from the defensive midfield position. He was an absolute monster in terms of like six players attacking ahead of him. And he is like the sole guy responsible for picking up recoveries, picking up the balls and that. But because of how mobile he was, um, you know, he used to be a box-to-box midfield midfielder at, at Shakhtar, I think. I think it was Shakhtar. Um, you know, he was just highly capable of doing it. I think Rodri's a little bit different. A little mm. bit more of a passer, less of a runner. A um, bit more physical. But as I said, his ability to cover ground isn't as good as Fernandinho's. And as a result, your counter-attack's a little bit more vulnerable. So I would expect City to be better next season on the defensive side. I expect them to sign at least one defensive player. Laporte will be available more. It'll be Rodri's second year. Um, and it remains to be seen who else they will target. You know, in, in, in this market, I'd expect them to re- replace Sane somehow. Um, and Aguero's obviously getting on. So it'll be interesting to see what business they do. But next year, right now, I would still actually put Liverpool's favourites. But having said that, I, I don't think it's, you know, this this gap for me is is a bit of a one-off, like, yeah, 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 I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've still got the pool's favourites as well. Next, not that we're trying to forget about this season, what's been so good, and move on to next. But it's just an interesting topic, isn't it? Um, yeah, I, I think that's the point I was only making was I just don't think the gaps is big. Like, I, I wonder. Whilst we don't think this, I was wondering if maybe people would be listening and watching and thinking, you know, is this is are we going to go and do this again next year? And I guess it was just a forewarning. I don't think. It will be as easy next year, but I still think City's got to plug a lot of holes between now and the start of next season to compete. Yeah, I think on the attacking side, City need virtually nothing. But on the but it's just defensively that they're, they're really weak. Um, 
and that sounds crazy considering he faced the fewest shots in the league. I'm paying ninety. I think I'm right in saying. Yeah, you are. They've only, yeah. they've, they've only faced five shots on target more than Liverpool have. Um, so they're obviously not defensively bad. It's just a case of with Liverpool, you you never ever feel you always feel safe with Liverpool, no matter where the ball is. With City, say for example last night when I'm not sure if you've seen the goal, but when Pulisic runs through, yeah, Pulisic yeah. picked up the ball in his own half. That goal would not would not have been scored against Liverpool. Liverpool do not concede them goals. City, all it seems to take is a really quick player who can dribble and you know a, a few passes who can actually when they're pressed lift their head up and be a bit brave mm. it just takes a few of them for City to to get opened up really easily I think that also stems into why Guardiola hasn't won the Champions League since since he's had line of his team I think his team's ridiculous but they're also really um, almost like utopian really with this really specific idea and if you're playing top quality players and you're trying to play with such a high line and all this sort of stuff, they can slice through you. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's it's a tricky one, but I, I do think City have, have got to really... Guardiola's got to, do, got to do something to the way his team defended. Klopp, Klopp did it. You know, Klopp experienced a period where Liverpool were playing really well, but we just conceded stupid goals because of, that, because of mistakes. And we were trying to press, press as high as City. And then we just went and signed Alisson, Van Dijk, Fabinho. And we started dropping off a little bit more. Um, soaking pressure a bit more. You know, you, you mentioned the low block quite, block quite often. Um, and it just it just changed the way Liverpool play, really. And we've been better since. Yeah, I agree with all that. <laughs> it's hard to add anything on that. I think it's, yeah, I think it's right. Spot on. When I said earlier about steps... I think there was there was a period where we were, we were four one in the city and we ended up winning four three. Oh, I remember that, yeah. We were three 0 up away to Sevilla at half time and we drew three all. And there was a moment where we were maybe three. Was it, Go was on. It Palace was it Palace? You're gonna say where it was? There was probably a Palace one, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. But I was gonna say um, away to Bournemouth. I think we were three one. Oh yeah, yeah. Aki Maybe. scored, did he? Yeah, yeah. The, the winner, I think it was actually four three. Mm. Back then, we just, in terms of controlling your own, controlling the pitch, we we couldn't do it. Mm. So we signed three players who, rather than being intense, you know, psychos, <laughs> they, were, they were just more cool-headed. You know, Allison and Dyke could wear the same shirts every week, and he wouldn't have to. You know, he wouldn't break a sweat. And Fabinho's obviously he's been told he's been called a lighthouse before in in Liverpool's game. So those players just made a difference for Liverpool. But whether City, uh, I, mean, I don't I don't doubt City's recruitment, but whether City's recruitment is is that good to be able mm. to get all those problems in one summer like Liverpool did, you know, it remains to be seen. Well, the, um, the problem is again it goes back to what we said at the top of the show with them that they were talking about. Uh, I saw them getting heavily linked with. Um, Thingy from Napoli. I can't. Why can't I think of his Kulabali. name? Yeah, Kulabali. And you, you're like, it's just I get it, but it's it's again kind of pursuing that the the talent and not really considering the other factors. And in in this specific case, you'd be going well. 
you know, how old is he now? He's he's, he's on his way down from his prime. Is he a is he a wise buy? Um, and I said, I think I do think City on the whole recruit recruit really well. Um, but they've just got these. They don't seem to maybe the the way I put it is they're not as thorough as maybe Liverpool are and the other factors beyond the on the pitch abilities. Yeah, I think I think City more like to just kind of left back. Literally list the three best left backs in Europe. Yeah. And by by the first one almost. Yeah. Because I, I think if you look at Mendy, I don't really see him as a Guardiola player. It's not his game. But he just bought him because he was the best on the market. Even even to an extent, Kyle Walker. I'm not sure he's a he's a, a Guardiola player. He's a bit more his decisions is a daft sometimes, uh, Kyle Walker. They, they both feel very, you know, direct, don't they? And it, and obviously, his game a lot of the time can be patient build-up play in combinations. And neither of them seem that fantastic, really. I think as as short, sharp ball players. Maybe yeah. I'm being harsh. I don't know. Obviously, we don't we watch them a lot, but I don't. We don't watch every single minute of every game every week. Um, where all that stuff kind of happens in between the the highlights. So maybe they are, but it's just my perception that that they're not. I agree. Basically, I don't. I'm not sure they are Guardiola men. Yeah, but the way City though will just kind of go out and not really think too much about buying the best available player. I think you know Liverpool obviously can't really afford to do that, so I think Liverpool spend a bit more time on the absolute fine details to to ensure that every single signing is is a hit, and obviously City signing players who are the best available. It can't go that bad if they're the best available. You know, Mendy's or he might not be. You know, Walker might not be entirely suitable to Guardiola, but it's still Kyle Walker, so City is still going to do really, really well at the sign him. But the way Liverpool are now at a point where they're just so aligned from top to bottom, I still feel as though City need a little bit of work. Yeah. And, and yeah. We, should, we should, I suppose we should round up here by saying next season, is, you know, is there anyone other than City? Because maybe we're talking a bit too much about about you know, the, the team that has rivaled us this season. Um, and we're not looking at other sides. I, I think I think last night, I think Jamie Carragher gave Man United the shout. Uh, yeah, you, you know, and I think, for me, I think United are going to be top four again next year. I can see United maybe doing a similar climb to, to Liverpool in some ways, you know, kind of being a, a top six, top seven side and gradually building. But I don't think they're going to be title contenders I think a team that we we both like and have bigged up, uh, Chelsea. I think Chelsea need to recruit. Um, for me, defence. You've you've touched on goalkeeper before. I think they need to buy well in those two positions. But I think with with those with the right recruitments, I think Chelsea could have a good, good go. You know, I think they've been. I think they're definitely the third best team in the, in, in England at the moment. So just whether they can close that gap on on City and Liverpool and and have a go. Yeah. Yeah, there's a few teams I'd, I, th- I think we have to we have to keep our eye on, but I think in the immediate term, the short term, next season, Liverpool will probably be okay for another year, I think. Yeah. Um, if, I don't know, in terms of Man United, they're definitely going somewhere. But I just feel as though the way Liverpool gradually made steps. I'm going <clears> to <throat> sound a bit uh, out of order, maybe saying this, but United don't, appear to me to be as, as smart as Liverpool at the minute in terms of identifying exactly what's required to keep making those steps. Fernandez was obviously a, a, a brilliant buy. Um, they've got Pogba available now. 
Greenwood's coming through. Um, they're making a good decision, but whether they will they will keep the hit rate, um, you know, I'm, I'm just I, I just have doubts looking over at them. It feels to me like United have less got that. I've got less faith in, in the hierarchy. I think. I think that's yeah. what I'm saying. United, for me, I think United are going the right way, but they're not necessarily got the path. You know, they're just kind of stumbling through a field in the right direction. But it wouldn't yeah, surprise yeah. me if they still made a few more mistakes between now and kind of reaching Liverpool's level. There's, they don't seem like they just they know, right, this is what we're going to do for the next few years. It seems like they kind of have an idea of we're taking this direction, and but we're just going to kind of feel our way there and you know it it, yeah. it just doesn't seem as clear I was actually doing yeah some I think evidence into that as well is, is the signature of Fenris because he had to get for this in the summer he tried to get him throughout the whole of January and they only got him I think on the last day of January mm. for about the fee that they were haggling for for the last six months and he obviously had to end up getting a gala win as well yeah. for for a late deal and, and all the deal's been okay and he's been able to, to plug a gap if you like but if you're really planning like Liverpool have over the past few years, I wouldn't Liverpool have made one deal like that. And that was Stephen Colger. And that was because of an injury crisis at the time. It wasn't to do with, um, you know, not getting your targets or, or whatever. Um, so, yeah, it'd be interesting looking ahead to next season. But anyway, we still have the rest of this season to complete. Got a few records to go for. Um, seven more matches, so we will be back again next week to look ahead to Manchester City, I think. Um, so thanks for joining us, Dave. Being a super today, yeah. I hope everybody appreciates this and definitely <laughs> doesn't give me any stick. I got I was getting called the Klopp's uh, doppelganger a couple of weeks ago. Well, I think it was the last one, and I was like, you know, you know, and uh, bite my tongue to come on the show here. At least go easy on me, everyone, but. Yeah, no, um, I'm happy for you anyway, mate, and obviously the people who are listening and watching. We don't tend to get any uh, any bad ones listening to this show, so I'm, I'm happy for them. It's just uh, how to be keeping the head down for the next week or so. <laughs> yeah, no, you've done well today. Um, you know, fair play. Um, so I'll round up by saying once more, Liverpool 2019-20 Premier League champions. Thanks for joining us. I'm going to go and grab a bottle of wine and uh, we will see you next week. Thanks. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.